Happy New Year again. Glad to see you here. I'm happy to be here. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been in a class. I've been traveling for the holiday. Um, so it's nice to be back in a room and with a crew and practicing in a group. It's a, it's a different experience than practicing at home alone. So it's nice to be with you. Um, I don't have a lot. I didn't make a lot of notes. I didn't write, write a really big talk. Uh, uh, but I have been thinking about this. What did I want to talk about? I think I guess it's hard to get back into the groove after being out of it for so long. Um, but it's the, you know there's two there's two things that come up for me that I think I wanted to touch on tonight. One of them was a book I just finished reading yesterday, and it's called My Grandmother's Hands. Have any of you heard of that one? It's really it's really extraordinary. It's a man who um, I can't remember his name Remsa Menachem, and he's a therapist and psychologist I believe, and he writes about um, he writes about white body supremacy and um, it's uh, black bodies and police and bottom line what he's, he's talking it's really excellent what he what he um, writes about but what he talks about primarily is trauma and trauma in, is not something that you experience and then um, it kind of goes away. I think you're all probably familiar that trauma lives in the body. Um, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which talks about trauma. So people with PT, not just people with PTSD, but anyone who's witnessed any kind of um, um, horrific, horrific event, uh, people who were raised, children who were raised with any kind of abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, those types of things, those are traumatic experiences that can be trapped in the body. And if they're not dealt with, if they're not discharged in some way, shape, or form, um, they can actually have an impact on the DNA that you pass on to your children. And this is something that's only been um, actually identified within the last 20, 30 years or so when neuroscience has really taken off because of the technology that makes that possible. They've seen how the, the expression of DNA shifts when people carry trauma in their body. And so he talks about that as a trauma of, 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 of um, you know, the slave owner and slave mentality and how they're treated and so that trauma of either being a slave or being a slaveholder because when you have to treat other human beings as chattel or if you do horrific things to other beings, that takes a toll on you as well. Um, so even if you don't commit horrific things, if you witness them, they, it, it has an impact. So where I'm going with this, and you're all sitting there going, what does this have to do with anything and why I came here tonight? I really think it's one more time points to the incredible wisdom of Buddha. Um, because he talks about this conditioning and this karma that goes from even whether you believe in, in rebirth or not, that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. How we have to really pay attention to the body and to taking care of ourselves, like I talked about before meditation. 
when we really practice this insight meditation, when we really learn to become intimate with ourselves, with our experience, we develop this caring. And it says in the suttas that we care for ourselves and we care for others. We care for the other, we, we care for the world, we care for ourselves, we care for the world and ourselves. I mean, we, we have this, this kindness, this caring that we have for all beings, all beings. So that's a healing of trauma. And it's body-centered. It's centered in really paying attention to this, becoming intimate with what this author talks about, um, clean pain and dirty pain. And I, and I liken that to pain and suffering, the distinction that's made inside Buddhism, that there is suffering in this world. There is pain. There's grief. There's loss. There's birth. There's death. There's those things. And then there's the, the, the pain that we, the suffering that we, um, that we create ourselves. When we say no to what's happening, when we deny, when we live in the state of delusion or we fight what's going on. That I think is um, this suffering. So um, that, you know, that uh, fabrication, those thoughts of if I get that, then I'll be happy type of scenario. That's this, this suffering that's unnecessary that we create for ourselves, that second noble truth, our clinging, our wanting things to be a particular way. And um, the Buddha starts the four foundations of mindfulness with body awareness. Connect with your body. Learn to see what's going on. And this guy in this book, not Buddhist at all, maybe he's Buddhist, I don't know, but he doesn't say anything about it. He talks about connecting with the body. You have to be connected with the body. So it's just like this Buddha's teaching shows up in all these places. I don't think I'm that biased that I see it everywhere. You know how sometimes people are like, oh, this is Buddhism and this is Buddhism. And it's like, no, actually, I think this is just incredibly wise stuff that, that now is being borne out scientifically and through neuroscience that you actually have to connect with yourself. You cannot disconnect from yourself. You have to reconnect. Because it's the disconnection that's so disheartening. It's the disconnection and the isolation that's so painful, that can cause so much suffering for yourself and for others around the world. I think that's really important. So that's a, that's a, um, uh, this practice is just one more um way we can we can heal both ourselves and um, I, don't, I can't heal anybody else but when I am conducting myself in a way that is caring for me and caring for others I'm not causing any more harm I'm not generating any more shitty karma you know, I'm actually moving through the world in a way that's kind. And in this book, he talks about being a settled person, that having, being able to be settled, which is like connecting with your experience. Like, what's going on right now? How can I hold that? How can I be with that? And if you can be settled with your experience, be calm, in spite of, that has a calming effect on others. So this practice 
has a beneficial has a beneficial impact whether you know it or not. I'm sure you've been in the presence of someone who's calm, not that they're not paying attention, but that are at ease even when the shit's hitting the fan. That has an impact. So um, this book was really, really. I'm going to have to now buy it because I want to have it because um, it's already been returned to the library through the ozone. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to bring that up, and if you get a chance to read it, if it's something that um, that type of stuff appeals to you, I really, I really recommend it. It was really, really, really helpful, really beneficial. I had a lot of good ideas in there, and um, I learned a lot, especially about the DNA and the transformation, the expression, um, and it kind of complements a lot of what we're doing here, and, and it just made me feel really grateful one more time for this practice and the wisdom of this practice, and the wisdom of the Buddha, and his teachings that are, you know, thousands of years old, but still so impactful today. When they're, when they're disconnected from dogma, and actually um, experienced, as the Buddha said, don't believe it just because I say it, but see for yourself if this takes you away from suffering or towards suffering, if this alleviates that discomfort. Not magic makes you not have any more pain and win prizes all the time. That's not what he said. He said that you can be with your experience intimately. You don't, you don't run away from anything. That's pretty, 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 pretty powerful. So... You know, that's, that's one something I, that was very impactful for me and I wanted to share with you. It's a really, really, really excellent, um, excellent book. Um, and then uh, the other thing, the other, is there any questions or comments or thoughts about that before I move on? What did you mean by isolation? Uh, what did I say? I said isolation. I know, I, I remember saying the word. <laughs> so you're talking about, like about your relationship with yourself. Mm. And the word isolation come up. Um, for me... Like connection with your body somehow. You know, um, let, me, let me take a step back. And, and when I talk about isolation, um, and I think it, it points to what I, what I was talking about in that, um, when I was, what I was sharing... Um, when I'm caught in a place of craving and wanting things to be a certain way, well, my, my conditioning uh, before an awareness, before any clarity through this practice or any kind of mindfulness practice, I was caught up in my craving, my delusion, my conditioning. I was just there because that's how we get conditioned. And we're just moving about. We don't see the water we swim in. And my yearning for connection or my yearning for uh, to fit in with others or to be wanted or accepted or whatever it looks like to be a part of the crew, um, what I thought was needed to, how I thought you needed to see me. I mean, I created this persona. I have to look like this in order for you to accept me. I, so I kind of developed this, this personality, this 
this picture that I thought would be acceptable, but it was phony. And people don't want to hang out with phony people for the most part. They don't, there's, and I didn't know how to develop any kind of intimacy, any kind of connection with others, because I was too afraid of, and I'm only speaking for myself, I was full of uh, fear that I would be rejected, so I had to, um, you know, keep this persona up and was unable, unable to um, be honest. And so this craving for connection actually set up a, a, an experience of isolation. Does that make, did that, did that explain it, Pete? Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was talking about. So there's this yearning for connection, but when lost in this um, place of, of, of craving and clinging and, and desire run amok, it just kind of takes you in an opposite direction. And so the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to be open, to have snot in your nose when you have a cold, um, actually sets up the uh, ground for connection. It makes, it makes connection more possible because there's no need to have this, you don't have to have this uh, fabrication, this persona. If X, Y, and Z, then it won't be okay. Instead, you know what? This is the way it is. And we're just all stumbling along together. You know, trying to do the best we can with what we have. Not causing harm as we move along, hopefully. So that's, that's kind of what I meant by that. So, thanks. Any other questions or comments about this? How does, so how does he discharge in the book, discharge this trauma? Um, that's a lot of, it's, um, he talks about how does he discharge or deal with the trauma. I think it's acknowledging it because a lot, many people are in denial about it because a lot of it was so long ago. He's talking about the historical trauma. He's basically talking about, you know, this white supremacy um, in this country. But anybody who has any kind of trauma has to be willing to confront it, has to be willing to own it and say, yeah, it's here. There is trauma. I mean, I, I, I experienced it, although I never knew I did. I think I was in my 50s before the word entered my vocabulary pertaining to me. Because it did, what, you know, you have this idea of what it looks like and your experience doesn't match what you think trauma is. But you know, if you see some violence, you know, that's a traumatic experience. He, I don't remember, he wrote down the, the, the different things, the categories of what can cause a traumatic reaction. And you can have a sibling and grow up in the same family and experience the same thing, and one of you has a traumatic experience from it, and the other one does not. So it's not like one size fits all, because some are some things get processed in, through some people, and they don't with others. But you have to acknowledge it, turn towards it, um, and be willing to be intimate with it. It's very much, you know, like we talk about in this in this practice of being with your experience, being with what is what is there, learning how to be intimate 
with um, right here, right now. Uh, he, t he has these, um, these different points he sets up that are basically mindfulness. You know? um, but really that being willing to uh, turn towards it and acknowledge it. Especially in this, he's, he's talking in a very specific, um, about a very particular type of trauma. But um, I think it's, um, it's helpful across the board. You just have to be willing to, and you can't do it by yourself. We cannot do this stuff ourselves. We have to, you know, he talks about various um, somatic experiencing. He talks about some, some the body-centered treatment of trauma, which if you're not familiar, somatic experiencing is, is a, a, a very body-centered way of dealing with trauma. It's very nonverbal and deals with it. EMDR is an also another way to deal with trauma. Uh, you, it, I don't know what it stands for. Something, something. I, I something, something. Yeah, EMDR. But it's, it's all, I, um, that's a way of dealing with it, but that's also through the body. Um, so that's that, that reconnection that reconnection with the body is so important. And I say that all the time. It's, you know, you have to, he talked about body scans, which is part of, you know, first foundation of mindfulness. Reconnect with your physical experience because that's where the answers are. That's where the healing is. And again, the name of the book is My Grandmother's Hands. He talks about it because his grandmother had these really thick, thick, thick calluses on her um, on her um, hands, and it was from working in the cotton fields when she was a little girl. Because I guess cotton has really sharp uh, thorns, and you just have to get in there, and until you and then your hands eventually get calloused over. And she hadn't been in the cotton fields in you know seventy years or sixty years, but her hands were still. That's the, you know, the, the line, the, the, it continues on, whether you're doing it or not, they never, they never saw it. Okay. That's one thing that I wanted to talk about today. The other thing, <laughs> something over here, <laughs> is it's the new year. And generally at the beginning of the new year, and this is not so different, it's, um, it's that time of the year where, what I say is in the real world, people make resolutions, like we're not in the real world in this room. Um, anybody in here make New Year's resolutions? See, that's the thing about intentions versus resolutions. I think resolutions are this. I'm going to do a, a more concrete kind of thing. I'm going to, you know, the typical gym, yoga, lose weight, gain weight, whatever it is. <laughs> you never go to the gym in January. Don't go to yoga class in January. Don't go. Yeah, don't try and take care of yourself in January because it's ugly out there. But, <laughs> but um, especially if you go to the gym all the time and it's like a. But it's it's more of a concrete kind of a thing. Quit smoking, or whatever it is. But intentions are really it's a it's part of the eightfold path. It's an inclination of the mind. It's to see clearly 
what causes suffering, and to move away from that. To move away from that. And in the practice that we would do in New Year's, there was a reflection over the prior year. And it's like, what was, what caused suffering this year? What, where was, where was the struggle? Where was the struggle? Where was the, where was the edge? Or what's coming up for you in this moment? You know, what, right now, if there was a, if there was something that I would like to let go of or cultivate, it's not just letting go, it's also cultivating. You know, or there's a practice, you know, do I want to be kinder in my speech? Do I want, you know, my old, my old chestnut, do I want to be less sarcastic? You know, how, that's my intention is to move in that direction. And in, in intention in the Eightfold Path, it, they talk about three things that we want to, um, uh, really come to everything with loving kindness and goodwill. You know, that we have, and caring, I'm gonna say caring, towards, just come with, a, with, a, with an attitude of caring for ourselves and for others, and loving kindness. And the metta sutta is, is a beautiful thing, you know. Um, we, we are not um, hateful or angry towards anyone, towards any being. I mean, it's unequivocal not towards any being. You know, there's no, there's no asterisk besides anybody's name saying, no, this one we can hate. You know, there are some people who are um, dangerous. There are some people who cause great harm, but we don't want to have animosity in our hearts towards them. You know, it's, that's the differentiating the person from the actions. And then the third piece that we come to intention with is, um, is renunciation of the letting go of that which doesn't serve, not in that sense of because I'll be a better person if I do this, but because I see that when I hold on, it causes suffering. But when I let go, there's so much more ease. And so I'm going to move towards the ease and let go of the, uh, the struggle on this side. So the intention is to really make the effort to reflect on what doesn't serve. And it doesn't have to be done. It's not just done at New Year's. But, you know, it, those are nice times to, to look at it. Some people have other dates during the year. And, you know, um, But it's, it's nice to have, um, and it's nice to have a yardstick to, if you do it in a regular port enough time. So like you did, um, you said, oh, I remember my intention from last year and I, I failed. You have to be cautious about being too harsh on yourself. Too. Or forgot it. Or forgot it. Yeah. yeah, and it's like I forgot it. Sometimes I remember, sometimes I forget. But um, it's all kind of moving in the same direction. What you really, what I think is really most is important is like, you know, those Pema Chodron books, start where you are. What is, where's the suffering right now? What's the struggle? What's the struggle right now? And how do you, um, what would be a good response towards that? And, and I like, we also do, um, the, ref, the precepts, which is really just looking at wise action, you know, um, not intentionally taking a life or not causing harm. 
is there any any anything you do that causes harm to others or to yourself? You know, um, not taking what's not offered. Do you uh, not that you run around stealing things, but watching how you um, you know do you. Uh, not show up where you're supposed to show up. They used to say 40 hours of work for 40 hours pay. You know, do you not do that? That's taking what's not offered. You know, that is it. Do you... I've heard you say in the past, which I, I like and I think about sometimes, is not taking what's truly offered, um, even somebody else's time. So uh, holding them hostage with conversation or, you know, being late for an appointment, that's taking somebody's time that wasn't really offered to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, exactly, it's not just, you know, stealing stuff. That's just one type of thing. Um, but it's, yeah, how do I, how do I abuse that? You know, do you have, I know you all know people who are, um, what I like to say, they don't have an off switch. <laughs> You see them coming and you're like, <laughs> because you can't, they, you can talk to them for 10 minutes. They will talk to you for 10 minutes and then you will part and you will realize that they have not asked you how you were. They will just kind of throw up on you or you may be that person. And if you are that person, maybe be quiet. What is it? Or if somebody's talking and they stop, Count to ten before you respond, and maybe because maybe they're not done. You know, this is just a just is just a, a kind of a way to look at that. Um, so there's lots of ways we take other people's we take what's not offered, not just financial or stuff. Um, the other side of that coin is cultivating generosity. And again, not just financial generosity, because we don't, not all of us have the means to offer that type of generosity. Uh, but, you know, visiting someone in the hospital, that's an act of generosity. Listening to someone, listening to someone who actually, you know, needs an ear, that is an act of generosity. You know, letting someone get ahead of you on the freeway or in line. You know, when, the, when the, you have a whole cart full and the person only has one item, it's like, that's fine. You know, that's an act of generosity. And which is an antidote to clinging and craving? So are there places where that, that may be, oh, maybe that's where I need to go. Um, then there's the uh, uh, being wise with your sexuality. That's another one of the precepts. You know, where are you in your relationships with others? You know, are you in a relationship that you should let go of? Because it ain't going anywhere. I stayed in relationships way longer than I should have. You know, so I wasn't wise with my sexuality. So just be cautious of how you move through that because that is where we can cause great harm. We can cause so much harm and pain. Um, Wise with our speech. This is huge. You know, is it true? Don't lie. Is it necessary? That's a good one. Is it kind? Is your speech kind? 
The Buddha talks about, you know, not gossiping, not being harsh with your speech. That's where the sarcasm comes in. You know, sarcasm can be really funny, but can it can be really painful too. Um, and is it is it what you're saying at the right time? Maybe you can say something, but say it another time. So really, how do you communicate? Not just verbally, but in your um, uh, keyboarding or texting or which of your digits you use. Any, any, there's so many ways we can cause harm. It's actually, I think, an Olympic event right now causing harm with our social media. Um, that's a very simple thing to do and it's, it's actually incredibly uh, damaging in many ways. There's a, Monica Lewinsky did a TED talk a couple of years ago. She talks about, I think she was like one of the first people who were shamed um, via public, you know, in that public space. It was, quite, it was really before the internet took off and way before social media, but she was the first. And she talked about it. And you, you hear people uh, time and time again talk about that. Um, even Brene Brown, when her husband said, don't read the comments on her TED talk that was, you know, extraordinary, but there's always haters gonna hate. So um, watch that, if that's your tendency. Um, and then consumption, you know, the, the fifth precept about taking things that are intoxicating that lead to heedlessness, but again, I love Thich Nhat Hanh's take on it. Watch what you ingest. Watch what you read, watch what you listen to, you hear. You know, watch, guard your sense doors. Not so that you're protecting yourself from, you know, things that might hurt you, but are you taking in stuff that you just, is unnecessary? You know, you don't have to listen to 12 hours of, of the news every day. It's, uh, there's only 20 minutes of news. 20 minutes, give us 20 minutes, we'll give you the world. Um, now it's like, give us 14 hours and we'll tell you the same thing 5,000 times <laughs> over and over and over and over again. So take care of it. This is caring for yourself and caring for others. So, and then there's another list of, of things that I think are helpful to if, you, if you're looking for something that, that um, around intentions. The paramis, which are these qualities of the heart that they are said to be necessary for uh, enlightenment, patience, a lot of these things overlap, but patience, um, loving kindness, uh, effort, really making the effort to, to do this deal. Um, generosities in there, uh, determination, wisdom, equanimity, really being balanced. So finding a way for yourself, take some time for yourself. Um, if you haven't already this year to set an intention and really, really take some time. I'm doing a half day next, next Saturday that it's going to be about recommitting to practice and really taking time to set an intention. So it's going to be a morning where you're going to sit and walk and, and, and cause it's hard to do it if you, you know, like, ah, la, 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 la. but it's good to step back and take a couple of hours to, um, you know, drop down. Um, but take some time for yourself and, and um, there's no time limit on this. It's, it's a continual, we're continually um, saying, what is this? That's always the question. What is this? What 
maybe is continuing to bring me discomfort. What do I think I might be important? And how, what direction do I move in to um, move away from the suffering, move away from the craving and the clinging and the need for things to be X, Y, or Z into a more spacious existence, a way to move through the world that's open and, and um, you can breathe more deeply in. So, uh, any questions about intentions?